0: As you can see from the screen behind me, we're, last week was the end of our Proverbs series. We're getting into our Psalms series where I really want you guys over the next uh, past few weeks of Proverbs and then the next uh, several weeks as we look into Psalms, we're going to be really looking and I want you to grasp and understand the character and the heart of God. That's really kind of the purpose of this whole series that we're doing in these two books if we can understand the character and the heart of God, then that will help us affect and make change in all those around us and in our communities, with our families, and as you're being called to impact those around you, or being called to make change and to help disciple those in our that God has brought into our community, into our network around us. So if you got your Bibles, go and open up to the book of Psalms. Uh, it should be right in the very middle that when i was sticking my notes in my bible this morning i just kind of opened it up and stuck them in there and i figured i'll go look for later and make sure it's in the right spot and i looked at, at exactly right at Psalms 23 so it's almost exactly the middle in your bible where that is so it wasn't because i'm such a good guesser and my, my bible drills and stuff i did years ago it was totally an accident this morning but anyhow psalm chapter 23 is where we're going to be this morning For many of us, it was probably one of the very first psalms that we ever memorized in children's church. uh, One of the very first passages we ever memorized. I remember, of course, John 3.16 is one that most kids get taught right off the bat uh, when they're in children's church or Sunday school. And then almost the very next passage that we get taught is Psalm 23. And so for many of us, it's a very, very familiar psalm of David. It's a very, very familiar passage, a song that David wrote. And we can kind of overlook it because it is so familiar, we can tend to overlook it if we're not careful. Right? The old phrase familiar familiarity breeds contempt. We don't hopefully you don't look at this and have contemptuous attitude, but you can't look at it and go, Oh, I know that. I don't need to read it. Or you read through it really fast. I got that down. Yeah, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll shut my one. Makes me lie down, blah blah blah, you go on through it. You gotta whip through it as fast as you can. I got that. Until the next one. But when you sit down and you study it, as through the years I have, and you realize that every time I look at it, God brings out something new, brings out something fresh, brings out some new insight that hits me right where I am right then. As you read the scriptures, you read God's word, you find out it's not just a collection of stories, it's not a novel, it's not to be read like a textbook. It is a book that God has given to us, it's a letter from Him to us a love letter from God to us so that we might look at it and study it and know his mind and know his heart and how we might change over the course of our lives. You can't read it one time and go, got that, I'm gonna take the test, get an A. You gotta be taking the test every day. Take that test every week. You gotta take that test every year. As you study it, as you read it, and you read it, and you read it over and over again. So that the God's very words can get sunk into your mind and they can fill you with his words and his grace and his mercy. So look with me in Psalm chapter 23. You should be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible with you this morning. Psalm chapter 23. Let's read it together, if you would. Uh, it's, it's all all one voice. Let's all read it together. Read with me, if you would. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall know. not want. Amen. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever what an awesome song what an awesome we call it a song back then it was just a song that David wrote King David as he wrote that and, and sometimes we picture David when he's writing some of the songs when he's, he's like the 14 15 16 year old boy laying in the fields where he's alfalfa with his sheep and his goats is out there doing their thing. And he's leaning up against the rock, chilling out, playing on his harp, strung, strum, or maybe a ukulele. Maybe not that tune. But we, we kind of picture him chilling out, laying there in the field, looking out at all the stuff and just contemplating the things of God. Anybody else think that way, or am I just crazy? Don't answer that question. Second half that question. But really, when we think of David, this psalm was probably written while he was on the midst of running for his life, when he was either being chased by Saul after he'd been anointed by Samuel, and Saul was jealous and wanted to get back at him and was trying to kill him so that his son Jonathan could become king, or maybe later on after David became king, and he's running for his life from his son, Absalom. Absalom was pursuing him across the countryside. And David's running for his life because Absalom, his son, wants to kill him. How about that? And in the midst of that, he writes this. In the midst of that struggle, he writes this. He comes up and he sings about it, the goodness of God. He sings about the greatness of God and all that God wants to do in us. The psalm the is, we often hear it used in funerals a lot of times, but actually, and David, when he wrote this, understood this, it, it focuses on what Jesus does for us all the days of our lives, not just at the end, how he's going to keep us in his home, right? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We like to dwell in that one little phrase. But really, this psalm is talking about what God wants to do for us every single day of our lives. His position, what he wants to take care of us. It's sharing about who he is. And look at the first verses up there. The very first verse: The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. Remember back to your college days, or when you wrote papers in school—middle school, middle school or high school—and you had to write a paper. What the very first thing you start out with? You have the introduction. Like even in my notes, I have an introduction, and then I have. A conclusion. And in some papers, you had to write an abstract. An abstract kind of sums up the whole paper in one paragraph or two paragraphs or one page, depending on what your professor required. That's what David's doing here in this very first verse The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's summing up the whole song in that first verse. Sentence kind of two bookends, right? In your house, you have a, a bookshelf, and if you got books falling down, you put bookends on them to keep them standing up. That's what David's done here in the very first verse. It says, "Bookends." Lay out where he's going. He's saying telling us that God is our good shepherd, and as a result, his sheep won't be in want for anything. God is our good shepherd, and we his sheep. Will not be a want for anything. You know that today is Father's Day, and I, I, I typically I don't preach Mother's Day sermons, Father's Day sermons, Thanksgiving sermons, Halloween sermons, Christmas and Easter are the only two sets of holidays I really limit myself to. But as I was looking at this, I, I, I kind of this is who God is. God is our heavenly Father, right? And if, if God is our heavenly Father, what is this Psalm saying about Him? What does God want us to know about Him? So I want to emphasize the first five, these first five words in this song. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at it. This week, we're going to look at the Lord he is my shepherd. Next week, we'll look at the Lord is my shepherd. Kind of internalize that. And then the last week, we'll look at the Lord is my shepherd and see what does that mean that God is a shepherd. So that's kind of where we're going over the next few weeks as we look at this psalm. And you're like, really? There's enough material in there for three weeks in a six verse psalm? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there is. There's lots. There's lots of stuff. I know a preacher one time who preached John 3 16 for six months straight. The same verse every Sunday. Until people were sick of me. it. He was like, well, if you just finally get it, I have to stop preaching that one verse. So we're going to be in six verses for the next three weeks. So you got a little, I'm giving you a break. We'll do. So we'll start John 3.16 the week after that for the next six months. Just kidding. So let's take a look at that statement. And let's look at who, who God is as the Lord. Who is this God? Who is the Lord? Who is God? When we think of him, I think of him as my King, as the king of kings and lord of lords. I remember when I was in in high school, we did some sign language like Destiny does. And we were singing a song, King Kings of Kings Lord, and Lord of Lords. I don't remember if it was this the, the praise chorus from the 70s or what the song was, but I remember just thinking, we learned the word King of Kings, and we did it twice, and Lord of Lords, and just emphasized his position and his power, who he was as the Almighty One, the one that we lift up, above all else. There is nobody higher. He is the most high God. There is no, There are no other gods, little g-gods, right? We know that anyway. The, you go to some other foreign countries and some other places where I've been, and they've got the little gods up on the mantelpiece and they pray to them, or sometimes, you go to some of our Catholic friends' homes and they get the saints up there on the wall, they, they the crucifix with St. Christopher on there, or a little pendant and they they want to remember what that saint does and so they pray to that saint which the saint can't hear your squat that you're saying the saint is with death is with is dead. but they pray to them or they pray to those little gods and they elevate sometimes those characters above God himself and we know that God is the almighty one he is the most high there is none of more powerful than him. There's none that even comes close to him. He is the greatest. He's our great high priest. He's our great high priest preparing us for ministry. He's the great high priest who comes alongside of us and and intercedes on our behalf so that our sins can be taken care of. He intercedes for us. Look what it says there in Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Jesus is our great high priest. Interceding on our behalf. Doing for us what we can't do ourselves. So that, that's kind of, when, when I look at God, that's those are the first few things that came to my mind. As I was asking myself, who is God? Who is he really? Yes, he's the great I am. And we and if you read through John You'll find the different I am statements of Jesus in the book of John is Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the open door, I am the living water. And those are the statements that Jesus is making, letting people know, I am God. And the most powerful one in, the, in that whole s- slew of things he said, he says, before Abraham was, I am. Because the Jews, they say, well, you can claim that, you can claim this. But he says, no, I'm claiming not just to be the bread of life, not just to be the living water, I'm going back to your, the ones that you revere. And I say, before Abraham even was, I am, using the very personal name that God gave to Moses in the Buddha's of Sinai. So how does David refer to, to God here? What, 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 what names, what titles does David give to God? Because if we read through these <clears throat> six verses, we see that David uses the various names and titles of God within to call the people's remembrance within the six verses here, within the, the verses of this song, he uses the, the phraseology and then the verses here to draw people's mind to who God is and his very character and his personality. Look at the very first one, he, he points out, he says, "He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Literally, he says, I shall not want God will provide all of my needs. God will provide all of my needs. It uses In people's minds, and the Jews' minds, if they've been trained up and raised up in uh, the synagogue, their minds will immediately go back to what Moses wrote in Genesis verse chapter 22. The guy says, the Lord will provide. On that mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And that's the phrase they used in that passage, Jehovah Jireh. There's a great song out right now, I encourage you to go listen to it sometime by the group called Maverick City, they out of Charlotte North Carolina, I believe in. You know, they have a great song called Jireh. And I would love to sing it sometime, but man, if you sing it the way they sing it, it goes on and <laughs> on and on for about nine or 10 minutes. And then she would never get to preach. <laughs> She's going, sing it now. It's a great song. If you haven't heard it, go catch it on YouTube. Go catch it on iTunes or wherever you listen to music. The song's gyro. It really, and it's all about this idea that God is our provider. The Lord is our provider. Whatever you need today, he will provide it for you. He is there to come alongside. The second one, David, brings to our remembrance here. He talks about leaving beside still waters. He is that He's calling the Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom, God is my peace, he is our peace. The still waters that are just kind of chilling out there, you're just kind of relaxing, and you sit beside those still waters, and you just have a sense of peace as you relax there. And Gideon, it says there in Judges, Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and called it, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom, to bring to people's remembrance, who God is and his very character, at his core, let people know this is who the God is that we serve. It's not a God of judgment and fire and brimstone that so much of the world wants us to believe. And he comes down, he's just waiting for us to mess up. He is here to bring peace to our lives. To bring peace to our lives. The third name that David brings to our mind is Jehovah Rapha. Tori, come on. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord who heals, the Lord who heals, because he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Whatever you're needing today, whatever restoration you have today, whatever struggle you're going through today, mentally, emotionally, God is here to bring restoration to your soul. What happens when you sit beside those still waters? You get relaxed, you find that peace and your soul is rejuvenated, right? Maybe out on the golf course, or maybe that's a bad example. Some people don't play golf when you're shooting the ball off left and right. I go out on the golf course, I don't let my ball drive me nuts. It's very relaxing to me. I hit my ball and even if it goes left, right, or center, it's a relaxing time for me. I can just chill out and not worry about the things around me. Some people put on their music. Some people put on a video. Some people just want to hang out with others and just talk and have a good conversation. That restoration will come. And God says, I want to bring restoration to you, son. Whatever you're going through today. Look what he says there in Exodus 15. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. He wants to heal us. heals us initially of our sin, because we can't even come to God if we have sin in our lives. The very first thing he's got to do in our lives is heal us of the sin within. The Bible says we are born in sin. You don't become a sinner. You don't become a bigger sinner than you already were. When you were born as a little, cute little baby, you were born in sin in need of a Savior. Our second grandbaby is being born. Well, we hope it holds off for the four weeks. Rachel texts us and she's like, I don't know if this baby's going to make it. Mom better get here quick. So we're hoping the baby holds out, but even when that little baby is born, the Bible says it is born in sin and is in need of a savior. All of mankind is in need of a savior, and God wants to be the healer, to free us of the penalty of sin in our own lives, and eventually free us from the presence of sin, or we can overcome it. As hopefully as you're growing stronger in your life, and this is where the action for index word, the uh, title of God comes in, into switch, Jehovah's Sekednu where he is slowly growing in us sanctification, he is slowly growing in us righteousness, he's slowly growing in us so that we can become more like him so we can grow in our understanding of who he is we can grow in our understanding of our own sinfulness and cast it away to get it out the Lord our righteousness and David writes that he leads us in those paths of righteousness Look in Jeremiah 33. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely and this is the name by which it will be called the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Sikkim the Lord our righteousness. I don't know about you guys, but for me of all the names of God, all the titles of God that we we looked at here we're going to look at a couple more in a second but all all the ones we looked at in one of my previous sermon series where we looked at actually the the names of God in depth, this one, how the Lord is our righteousness really stands out to me because I understand my sinfulness. And I look at my sinfulness in relation to how holy God is and I realize every single day that I am not worthy of his love. I am not worthy of his grace. I am not worthy of his blessings upon me it's only because he is my righteousness he Is exchanging my sinfulness for his righteousness literally he gives me his perfection his holiness when I receive him as my Lord and Savior and he becomes my righteousness this is not on my shoulders the next one Jehovah Shalom the Lord is there you ever wonder where God is? He's there, he's here, he's there, he's here, he's there. Literally, when David says, you are with me, you are with me, Ezekiel 48, 35, the circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that time on shall be Jehovah-Shah, the Lord is there. There is no place that we can go to escape God's presence. There's no place we can go to hide from him. He knows everything we do. He sees us and watches us. He sees us when we're out cutting grass. He sees us when we're studying his work. He sees us when we're hanging out with our friends. He sees us when we're on the golf course. He sees it when you're out hunting. He sees you when you're doing your craft stuff. He sees you when you're at work. He sees you when you're home. He sees you when you're sleeping. He sees you always. He is there. Hope that's a comfort to you. And maybe a little scary too. Because there are things I would do and say. I would, actually, there are things I would not do and not say if I could physically see God, Jesus, right there next to me, right? There are things that I withhold myself from saying sometimes because there are younger kids in my house that I don't say certain things. And they're going, ah, you ought to be at my house. My dad just says whatever comes to his mind. There's no filter on that mouth. There are certain things that we withhold from conversation when young ears are in the room. Younger than my kids. Just think, if Jesus was physically there, sitting next to you on the couch or in your car, would you say that to that other driver who cuts you off? Would you think that thought to the, about that other driver who cuts you off? Or would you, how would that change and affect the way you behave, or the way you speak, the way you think and what you're watching or what you're reading? Hopefully it would change a lot. But what, what we're learning here is David understood is that Jesus is there. He's sitting right there next to you, right there next to you all right there with y'all, right there with y'all, right there over here. He is sitting right next to you now, (coughs) experiencing worship with us. He's standing right next to me as I'm preaching, right here. God is there. Next, David says, the Lord is our banner Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is our banner as we sit in the presence of our enemies. In Egypt and those who are coming in Sunday nights to our Bible study uh, we'll, we'll get into this at some point uh, through the midst of our study but what we learned through this series this video series that we're going through is in Egypt as the, the Egyptians would build these massive temples to their Egyptian gods they would put these huge flags these huge banners outside of the temple so the people from miles away would know how to get and where to go to get to the temple. They would see the bat the banners flowing in the wind, and they would be the wind would catch it. And it would go for it. There were massive things, huge. So the people could turn and look and see the direction of Ra, the sun god. God is our banner. Imagine a pole stuck in your in behind your through your shirt, goes down. And you think a pole is going to make you stand up straight but that pole goes up and it goes up and it goes up and on the top of that pole is a banner that says God is here and that pole goes down to your back God is our banner letting everybody know and this should be, should be letting everybody know what you believe, who you believe and who you worship we don't have any flags outside our building and actually, I've been to churches and got the Christian flag out there and they got the American flag, other flags. We have little welcome flags that are floating in the wind. Those are kind of like banners. But literally, God is our banner, and we are pointing people around us to the banner flowing above our heads. Do we do that? Exodus 17. And Moses built an altar. Moses built an altar, and called the name of it, "The Lord is my banner." to point the people to God, to point the people to how awesome Jesus is, to point the people to Jehovah. The last one we're gonna look at this morning, as David points out, Jehovah Mekadesh, he is the Lord who sanctifies. He says, you anoint my head with oil. Symbolic gesture of being anointed with the presence of God. Symbolic gesture of the sanctification of God on him the presence of God on that person when David was anointed with oil as the next king of Israel it signified to all the people he has been set apart by God for a purpose he is sanctified he is set apart he is holy Leviticus verse 20 chapter 20 says keep my statutes and do them I am the Lord who sanctifies you in other words, we can't do it ourselves. We can't sanctify ourselves. We can't make ourselves good. We can't make ourselves better. No matter how hard we try, we can't do it. God steps into our lives. God steps into our area, into our surrounding area. And he is the one who works in us to make us more like him. When I realized that. As a younger believer, younger meaning younger than I am now, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but when I realized that I couldn't make myself more holy to God, I couldn't, it just made me frustrated. When I tried to be good, when I tried to be better, when I tried to force myself into this mold, it just frustrated me even more because I could never live up to what I was trying to do. As soon as I gave it over to God, and said, God, you're my sanctifier. You are my holiness generator. You are the one who's creating righteousness. You are the one making me more than you. As soon as I realized that and gave over to him to do that, man, all this this peace, this relaxation fell over me. And there was no longer any pressure because God was doing a work in me that I was not even aware of. He's using my family, he's using my church, he's using people around me, he's using circumstances, he's using experiences, and every one of those things he uses in our lives to develop holiness and righteousness in us to make us more like him. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's not frustrating when that happens because I fail so many times but he continues to show patience to me and to make me more like him. So that's what David, those are the words that David wanted to get out to bring to the mind of the people around him as they sang this song, as they worshiped together. But Jesus also made a very similar statement. And I mentioned it, I referred to it earlier a little bit. When Jesus said very clearly, I am the good shepherd. Remember, Jesus is God. He's not just a a separate person all by himself. He didn't become God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Philippians chapter two says that Jesus humbled himself and left his throne in glory to become a man like you and I so he might struggle and suffer like you and I through all the temptations that you and I struggle with so that we might know that he understands us. Did he have to go through those things then? But he went through those temptations so that we might know that he understands us. Here in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd, Jehovah-Rohi. He says it, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches him up and scatters him. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep who are not this old, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. One church, one God. One flock, one shepherd. Jesus is that good shepherd that David's talking about here Jesus is the one that David didn't know his name because he's writing it in the Old Testament. One of David's descendants, born as Jesus, is what he's writing about, the good shepherd. But he understood the concept of God being our shepherd. Of course, David was a as a little shepherd boy, as a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old boy. He took care of the sheep. He took care of the goats. He fought off the wild of animals. He understood that concept, he understood that practice and he relates that idea so that we might understand who God is in this condition. And just as the course of David's life changed when God chose him through Samuel's anointing, so the path of believers and every believer changes when God becomes our shepherd. When God becomes our shepherd. Through our salvation, we find ourselves the great beneficiaries of God's kindness, his care, his sustenance, his provision, his healing. All those titles and phrases we mentioned many ago, that's who our great shepherd is. That is who our great shepherd is. And he wants desperately to come alongside you, to come alongside me as his sheep to shepherd us to a better life. So what does a shepherd do? What does this shepherd do? What does the great shepherd do? We mentioned earlier, he says, you're going to want for nothing at the end. You will want for nothing. You will not be in want, literally, is what that says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Nothing will be lacking. Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I don't feel that way. Sometimes my feelings rise up and they get the best of me and I feel like I'm lacking. I feel like I'm needing something. I feel like I'm in want and what Jesus is, what God is, David is saying here I'll get away in a minute. What David is saying here is when we acknowledge God as our shepherd, our great shepherd, we will not be in want through life. He will not abandon us. You walk away from the flock he will not abandon you. I love the parable of Jesus going after the one sheep who wanders away, he leaves the 99 behind and he goes after the one. He will not abandon you. We may not feel his presence. We may not feel his strength. We may not feel his peace, but that does not mean he is not there with us. He is always there. He will not abandon us. David experienced many hardships through his early years, right? David, as a, as a shepherd boy, experienced many hardships having to fight off the wild animals who were one to come in and attack his flocks. Later on, he went and fought Goliath. David's like this tall, Goliath's up here, big, massive lineman on the Denver Broncos. <clears throat> he crushed David with one little squeeze of his hair. And he fought off Goliath. He understood hardship. He understood running from Saul, and then running from Absalom. He ran first from Saul for his life, because Saul wanted to kill him. I mean, you remember the story, as David is singing a song to Saul, he's in the, in the throne room, and he's trying to calm him down. He, he's singing a song, and all of a sudden, rage overcomes Saul. He picks up a spear, and tries to pin David to the wall. So David takes off. Right? <laughs> I'm not sticking around here. (laughs) And he runs and he runs and he runs from Saul. Then later on he's got to run from Absalom. But what David understood is that, and this is probably where this psalm comes from, is in the midst of the hardships he was able to experience the still waters and green pastures of God. He experienced those still waters and green pastures of God as he went and visited the, what they call the En Gedi, there in Israel, or an oasis time. Look at this, this is outside Jericho. Is that not some place you wanna go and hang out? Is that not just some beautiful place to go swim and hang out? He's running from Saul, and he finds these En Gedi's. He finds these oasis. In the middle of the desert, God provided rest. God provided peace. In the midst of his struggles, God provided for him. God did not obey Do you think it was fun running from Saul or running from Absalom? Do you think it was fun fighting off the wild animals? Do you think it was fun having to face Goliath because nobody else would step up and do it? No, but he did. But in the midst of some of the struggles of his life, he found these beautiful places, this En And what we find is that through Jesus, we have reconciliation with God and can experience our own Engedi, the restoration of all things in this life and the one to come. David goes to the Engedi to get his peace, to have his men rest up and relax, and he experiences the peace of God, the restoration of his soul, even in the presence of his enemies. He's able to experience the Good Shepherd. Like David, even when we are in want, we can trust the good shepherd will see us through life is not easy being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that life is just going to be peachy keen from here on out life is not easy we have an enemy satan who wants to discourage us to destroy us to get us down we have to put our hope and trust in God what does he say there in verse 2 and 3 it says he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In the midst of the struggles of life, in the midst of all that's going on, we can experience the anointing of God. But the key is that we have to first set aside our self-reliance. We have to set aside our self-reliance and our independence in order to find the freedom that God offers. If we just take it all upon ourselves and all upon our shoulders, think, I'm going to do it, I know the best way to go. We'll miss out on the peace that God wants to bring. You're welcome to do it yourself. You are totally welcome to take it upon yourself, all your frustrations, all your struggles. You are welcome to. There's nobody saying you may not. There is no 11th commandment. Thou shalt not take upon yourself all your frustrations. There is none. Go ahead, do it. Come back in a month and tell me how happy you Come back in a, in a year and tell me how that went for you. We have to learn to give it over to God. That doesn't mean you don't think about it, but it means you give over to God your pain, your suffering frustrations your anxiety all that is there you give it over to him and you remove that self-reliance from your life and you begin to rely on God's strength instead of your strength. When we worked in North Korea they have a philosophy called Juche and Juche literally means the idea of self-reliance that they as a country want to be the self-reliant country that relies on nobody else They rely on nobody else for their oil. They rely on nobody else for their food. They rely on nobody else for their peace. They rely on nobody else for anything, which is a joke if you know how North Korea operates. Because they rely on Russia, they rely on China, they rely on all these other countries around the world to do for them what they can't do for themselves. They're not self-reliant. They're extremely reliant. But they think they're self-aware. That's kind of like us. We think we can do it, but really we can't. We think we can get killed, hold it all together, but really we need to just give it up and say, God, I give it to you. I don't know the future, I don't know what it's going I can't handle this anxiety. I can't handle my fear, and frustration, whatever it is. God, I'm just gonna give it to you. Because your shoulders are bigger than. Mind. It says he makes me lie down in green pastures. Literally, he brings me into his rest. He brings me to those green pastures. You ever wonder what the green pastures look like? <laughs> they don't. They aren't waist deep alfalfa, hip deep alfalfa, knee deep, but they're even right ankle deep fields of alfalfa or wheat, or whatever. This is what the green pastures are that David is talking about. As the wind would blow from the Mediterranean across the rocks into the mountains, moisture would fall into the rock crevices, or maybe sometimes little spring rains would come, like yesterday, they had a little rain gust that came in for about 15 minutes and then left. Just enough to moisten the ground and raise the humidity. level. So you wanna go inside and get back in your AC out of the humidity. This is what Dave was talking about. God is leading us to those areas with those little tufts of grass poking out from within the rocks. The sheep and the goats are finding those little tufts of grass, and the shepherd knows where to lead them. The shepherd that leads those flocks knows where the moisture is, knows where the grass is growing, coming up, and he leads his flocks into the hills, into those desert areas to find the little sparse areas of green grass for them to eat. Not fields of wheat, not fields of corn, not fields of alfalfa, but little tiny tufts of grass. Those are the green pastures that David's writing about. When you realize that that's what God is leading us to, and through it brings a whole nother meaning to this this verse, right? He makes me lie down and rocks among the green pastures <laughs> to find what I need for today. John six thirty five says and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall not thirst. He wants to be that one who which provides for us every measure that we need. He goes on in verse two, he says, he leads me beside the still waters. He leads me beside those still waters. So first he brings me to his rest and his green pastures, giving me his daily bread. Then he leads me to the still waters where I can experience the peace and calm that God gives us, that God wants to give us. Right, sometimes we sing the hymn in here, Peace Like a River. When Peace Like a River attendeth my way. That song was written by a man who just lost his family. As they were going across the Atlantic Ocean on a cruise, on a liner, on a ship, they were sunk by Nazis, Nazi U-boats. Nazi when word got back to him about the loss of his entire family, the him, peace like rivers is what came. And we sing that today thinking about the peace of God. And he experienced the peace of God in the midst of sadness, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of the most agonizing emotions you can have. The loss of a child and a spouse. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. I've never been there. Some of you have. But in the midst of that, God wants to bring us his peace and his calm. And it's Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That peace which passes understanding. The world doesn't understand it. I don't fully understand it, but I know it comes. When I give myself over to God and I allow him to take all my troubles and I allow him to take over my anxiety, I allow him to take over my fear and I give it over to him and say, God, here I am. I don't understand life. God, I'm frustrated. God, I put my trust in you. It doesn't always happen right away. Like you want to snap your fingers and make stuff happen. Life doesn't happen in 22 minutes. minute comes, like we experience on TV. Life sometimes takes a while, but you can't experience the peace that God wants to you. He leads me to the still waters. Thirdly, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. He's the healer, remember? He's Jehovah Rapha. He brings healing to our minds, and our hearts, and our spirits. You may have been hurt by somebody. Words may have come in and just crushed you. You may be struggling emotionally. You may be struggling with something else. God wants to bring healing to your soul, your mind, your spirit, and your body. We think of healing just in a physical sense. Oh, I gotta get over COVID, like, I, like me last summer. I gotta get through COVID. But sometimes there's an emotional and mental healing that must take place in our lives. And God wants to be the one to restore our minds and our souls and our spirits because that will many times affect our physical life as well. And lastly, he shows me the paths of righteousness. He shows me the paths of righteousness. Now, he doesn't say he makes me follow the paths of righteousness. He says he shows me. I now have a choice. I can walk the path of righteousness that God has laid out for me. I can choose to go my own way. I can choose to walk and follow God's leading, or I can choose to go a totally different path. Think, I know better than God. But many times we do that. Many times I do that. God, I know better than you. I know what the future holds. I can take care of myself. Right, yeah, let's get rid of your self-reliance and follow me. He shows me the path of righteousness And I have a choice to follow him on that path, to become more like him, to follow him in that leading, to spend more time in his word, to spend more time in fellowship with one another. I have a choice to do that or I can choose to go off my own way. So the conclusion here, as we look at this, your choice is this. Are you willingly going to become God's sheep? Are you willingly going to submit to the good shepherd? Are we going to allow ourselves to give up the control of my life and follow the wisdom of a good and caring shepherd who can meet every need? Can we truthfully say, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. shepherd. This week, as you're going to work, as you're with family, as you're with friends, think about these words: "The Lord is my shepherd," and what that means. is Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah He He's Jehovah Sekeniyeh. Sik- Sik- He's Jehovah. Those are that right in my nose. I can't see right top of my head. <laughs> he is God. He is the great I am. He was the good shepherd, Job, the as Jesus said. He was the good shepherd. And he wants to be your good shepherd. And that comes initially by saying, God, I give up myself to become your follower. I give up my desires become your child. I want to become a follower of Jesus. To become, to have you do for me what I can't do for myself. Can you say this morning, the Lord is my shepherd. you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute as Karis comes up to lead us in the final song. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're already a believer in Jesus. You already know that Jesus is your Savior. You gave your heart to Him years ago. And you'd say, But I'm still trying to maintain control. I'm that sheep that's wandered away. And you'd say, Pastor, I need the good shepherd to come find me and bring me back into the sheep. Just lift up your hands I can pray for you. I'm like that sheep that wandered away. I need the shepherd to come find me. i praying to thank you. Thank you. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've never given my heart to Jesus. I've never followed him. I've never even thought about it, until this morning, maybe. But Pastor, I wanna become one of his sheep. I wanna know God is a good shepherd. I want to know what that means. I want to have my sins taken away so that I can follow him all the days of my life and enjoy eternity in heaven with him. Pastor, this morning I want to give my life to Jesus to become one of the sheep. Would you slip up your hand so I can see you and pray for you as well? This morning you want to give your heart to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He is there to take your peace. Give your peace. If you raised your hand this morning, did you want to say, God, I want to follow you? I'm going to pray a quick prayer. And in your in your heart, I want you to repeat this prayer. I want you to repeat this prayer in your heart this morning. Repeat after me to become a follower of Jesus this morning. Lord God, I know yours, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've screwed up my life. And this morning, Jesus, I want your peace. So I give myself to you to follow you from this day forward. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my selfishness. I empty myself of all that I am to receive within me all that you are. Jesus, I give myself to you. Follow you from this day for In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it sincerely, I want you to know that we call you what we call a Christian. You are a child of God this morning. And before you leave this morning, I want to have it spend, take a couple minutes just to talk with you. If you catch me before you leave, so I can explain to you what are your next steps? What does that mean now that you are a believer? You are a follower of Jesus. What does that truly mean? Don't leave today before you come and catch me and find me so we can go over that together. Well, Let's stand together and sing this final song this morning as we pray, as we rejoice together in new lives that have been changed, new lives that have become followers of Jesus this morning as we sing together. We're singing Waymaker this morning as it describes just who Jesus is as we sing together.